1: Welcome into the QB SCO show. This is episode 27, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow my work at bleedinggreennation.com. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist, NFL, that's K-I-S-T. As always, here to break down quarterbacks around the league coming into the draft. It's quarterback one in my heart is Mark Schofield. Follow him at Mark Schofield and the dozens of sites that he writes for Mark. How are you doing, brother?
2: Mr. Kist, always a pleasure to be with you. We're doing this on a fine summer Wednesday. The takes are flying on the timeline. Everybody's (laughs) angry. Everybody's anxious for football to get back. In the meantime, they're spending their free moments taking pictures of themselves, making themselves look older, and then sending it off to the Russian (laughs) intelligence agencies. It's a beautiful time to be alive. And gentle listeners, it's time for our historical reference. And... Part of the reason the friendship and the camaraderie between Mr. Kist and I work so well is as we've talked about before, Mr. Kist is more of a classical historian. I am more of a modern historian. So I am going to bring the Mm -hmm. historical reference into the modern world just a bit. I'm going to talk about Robert E. Lee for a moment. Now, we may have gone down this road before. My life is a series of reruns. But I do (laughs) believe there's a case to be made that Robert E. Lee lost the Battle of Gettysburg because he had, shall we say, the scoots. Now, there is medical evidence that Robert E. Lee perhaps had a heart attack in March of 1863. As a matter of fact, in 1992, there was actually a study done that showed that Robert E. Lee, after a review of his medical history in 1992, a study from the NIH's Center for Biotechnology Information, they determined that his death was caused by chest pain from blocked arteries caused by activity. It was often stated, and I'm quoted from this study, that the loss of the war broke the heart of Lee, but in our view of modern-day understanding, it is probably more accurate to say that advanced coronary arteriosclerosis was the culprit, the NIH said. Lee had been suffering from what his doctors diagnosed as pericardia since March of 1863, which had a sudden onset and came with pain in his chest, back, and arms. It affected his ability to ride a horse, and he was known to be anxious and depressed in the days and years after but there is also a discussion that perhaps he was suffering from the scoots, a little bit of the runs. <laughs> and people have theorized that his condition in those hot July days, that summer of July, when there was really nothing else going on but the Battle of Gettysburg, led him to order Pickett's charge it's sort of a strange decision by him. And his lieutenants, his right and left hands said not to do it. I'm quoted from a great book by Bevan Alexander, Robert E. Lee's Civil War. It's a fascinating study of the tactics used by the Confederate general. Robert E. Lee insisted upon the charge, and the officers who were party to the decision were unanimous in condemning him for it. Again, referring to Pickett's charge the third day of Gettysburg. Though Lee owned up at its frightful end that it was all his fault, generations after him have tried to take away the blame. Alexander continues, Pickett's charge was doomed before it started. Said that massed bodies of men across nearly a mile of open ground against emplaced riflemen and banked cannons was simply an invitation for destruction. Only a third of the men in the charge even got to Cemetery Ridge. Lee should have learned this lesson at Malvern Hill a year before. He continues, about half of the 13,500 Confederates who made the attack were killed, wounded, or captured. Pickett's division suffered staggering losses, and the survivors actually abandoned the field, a sight never before witnessed in the Army of Northern Virginia. Now, this has been a big wind-up to the main point here. In the dead of summer, with nothing to talk about, with nothing else to do, he forged on and made a dumb take and stood by it. (laughs) And for those of you that have seen the football timeline and say the past couple of weeks, you probably know that the dumb takes have been flying as well.
1: Definitely. And I think that's my – is that the most costliest Quite possibly. (laughs) Hard-pressed to think of another. I mean, your mind will make you do some crazy things. It's not historical,
2: but jewels in Pulp Fiction, I mean, that was a tough break. I mean, look, when you got to go, you got to go, but take the gun with you leave the cannoli kind of situation.
1: That's interesting. Dude, this month has been crazy for the takes. And look, I I like to indulge myself in some takes, and I respect takes, but it's just getting to the point now where like we're retrading all the same stuff. We're arguing about running backs again on the timeline, the whole Ezekiel Elliott thing spurred by the Melvin Gordon thing. It's all just unbearable. You know, if running backs don't matter, stop talking about them so so damn much.
2: We woke up to a take this morning that said that the Patriots won their Super Bowl thanks to their running backs. (laughs) And I could tell you, as a member yeah. of sort of Patriots fandom, as somebody that covers the Patriots, the idea that it was the running backs is a bit of a head scratcher to me. People, people land base Tom it's Brady, they call him a system quarterback. I guess the system was named Corey Dillon. Which okay, that's where <laughs> we've reached. On July the 17th in the year of our Lord, yep. 2019.
1: It's wild. And that was all to justify a take about uh, Ezekiel Elliott. So when you get dug in on a take, sometimes you make some absurd statements. So that that's what's going on in the or, timeline right now.
2: Or... You said the takes across nearly an entire mile of open field with no cover.
1: That's that's exactly it. So let's let's have some more takes. Let's generate our own takes because Mark, before the show, and me and me and Ben have already kind of discussed this on the Kisten Solak show, but I wanted your take on some attractive MVP odds out there to see if they line up with mine. So let's make some takes. And and I bring up Carson Wentz now because you recently wrote him up. I think his odds were a little rich considering the health aspect. Obviously, the talent with him and his weapons plus the coaching makes him a desirable target. I get all that. But still, I do think there's better value to be had uh, if I'm putting on my better's cap, what about you? When you look over these odds that I just sent you, these should be the most current ones.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, w- w- my thoughts on Wentz are documented. I, as you alluded to, I wrote a piece recently over Matt Waldman, about why I think he's going to have a rebound year. I talked about, as we've talked about on this show, you know, you look at his final three games, you see him starting to come back into form with that knee back to full health. He's going to be more confident to make plays and create outside of the pocket, be a chef as it were to allude to another piece i wrote recently mm. but at the same time look the odds are pretty rich man. and i think you start to get past him you know some of the longer odds on this list i like rivers yeah if the chargers finally have the season that gosh we've all sort of been clamoring for since maybe like 2012 or something like that this the season that has been foretold the season that has that's a great way to describe it. the season that has been foretold by the chargers and Phil rivers he's a lock to get MVP if they have that kind of year. If they make a yeah. run, even just to an AFC championship game, you know, I think he's going to be in serious consideration for that. If Deshaun Watson survives this year, he probably deserves MVP on that fact alone. I'm telling you. I mean, to, to panic <laughs> yeah. the way they did and to reach the way they did <laughs> in the first round, just like, just draft a lineman. I don't care who. Billy Bob, is he available? Oh, he died? The guy from Varsity Blues? Okay, give me the next lineman you can think of. Like, they're just scrambling for offensive lineup. So if Watson survives the year, he might deserve MVP. (laughs) And let's fire up some takes here. If we're talking full-on value, the biscuit. No. Five bucks? You don't believe that?
1: Uh, Yeah, five bucks to win, like, what is it, thousands? I mean, it's just ridiculous (laughs) value because
2: this is going to be a quarterback award. Let's face it. This yep. is the way the world works. And if Chicago somehow gets to a Super Bowl, even though it will probably be on the backs of Matt Nagy's play calling for the most part, and what Khalil Mack does on the defensive side of the ball, and maybe you get some bits and spurts here from Trubisky being a high-variance quarterback, as he was called the other day by somebody who put out some quarterback rankings who shall rename nameless, Trubisky will probably get the bulk of the credit for it. So it's worth five bucks. I mean, why not?
1: Yeah. And some of the other bets that I like, not that one, not that not one watching at all, you. but some the of the fans. other bets that I like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The Bears fans are watching me uh baker mayfield has some richer odds than carson carson is at plus 1600 russell wilson is right there at plus 1600 i think that's a good one but they run the ball so much there in seattle that i don't know he'll just have the the volume because the mvp discussion is all about narrative and stats as we talked about before but baker mayfield at plus 1400 like Solak pushed back on me on this because we only have so many documented games of baker but it's not like Baker is changing systems. And Baker showed me a ton in the second half of the season. I mean, they improved in every single way, every single possible way imaginable from sacks to drive touchdown efficiency to success rates to everything else. And you feel pretty good about Kitchens. I'm mm-hmm. a big, big Todd Monkin supporter with that offense. You add OBJ. I think there's enough there in the narrative. What's the narrative. Well, Baker is the savior of the Cleveland Browns franchise if they make a serious run. That's a really big narrative for Baker. And I think he's capable of doing it. I'm a big Baker Baker believer.
2: Yeah, I know. I think that makes a ton of sense. I think he sort of articulated the Baker points. And the narrative, the storyline is a great way to sort of frame this discussion because Baker, Brayden, rebirth to this franchise to the factory of sadness will be huge and so if this team just goes 10 and 6 or somehow gets to 11 and 5 wins the division gets into the playoffs you know two years removed from what oh and 16 that's going to get him a ton of consideration along similar lines cam newton and now maybe this is more of a comeback player of the year
1: yeah comeback player of the year i'm looking at cam and i'm looking at carson i like both of those yeah
2: yeah I, i think those are you know definitely guys to consider there garoppolo if he plays well, although Nick Mullins, I'm just saying, I'm not saying, I'm just saying if we have this whole little system quarterback debate, if you watch some of the stuff that Nick Mullins did, you know, I wrote a piece Mm -hmm. over Pat's pulpit when Patriots pre-draft, who are they going to, you know, are they going to draft a quarterback? What are they going to do? I'm a case for Nick Mullins. Go get him. You know, So there could yeah. be a sort of similar debate playing
1: out. What do you like about Cam's situation? Because I know like last year, and we're going to talk about Cam here in a second when we talk about like box score scouting, which we're going to do after the break. But w- with Cam, the shoulder, it couldn't throw downfield last year. Do you believe in the Panthers enough to the point where does Cam have to play at an MVP level for the Carolina Panthers to be relevant? Is that why he's such an attractive option for you?
2: I, would, I don't think he has to play at that high a level. One of the things that I like about Cam's situation right now, and you know, I like this, I wrote about it last year, was how Norv Turner finally, after decades of being Norv Turner, seemed to sort of adapt his offense finally. I mean, if you look back at his last day sort of in Minnesota where even though Teddy Bridgewater wasn't suited for a seven-step drop type of offense, that's what he was making him run. You know, And what Turner did last year was sort of combine the elements of his air Coriel downfield passing attack, which Cam Newton is suited to run, with some of the spread RPO type stuff that Cam's also suited to run that plays more to the strengths of the guys around Cam, be it, you know, Samuel, Moore, Christian McCaffrey, using him as a wide receiver. Yeah. The combination of growth from the play caller and health and what Cam can do from a trait based perspective, it's a nice little pairing. And so he doesn't have to play it used to be in that sort of office with the guys around him, guys like Funches and, you know, Calvin Benjamin. Cam had to do things he's not best suited to do, make precise throws. He's not the most accurate, doesn't have the best ball placement. But he was throwing a lot of situations mm. where he was throwing into tight coverage downfield. Now that offense is a little bit more tailored to getting them some open receivers, getting them some easier looks, getting some getting him some nice throwing windows. I think that combination bodes well for what he can do in the year
1: ahead. Yeah, and he's at plus four hundred. The guys around him. I mean, Cam has won an MVP yeah. before. So it's not like he's not capable of that level of play, which is which is nice. He's at plus four hundred along with Roethlisberger, who hasn't, because the narrative is no. never going to be friendly to him for problematic reasons also garoppolo's right there we're not even sure if he's good to be honest with you and then you know some non-quarterbacks saquon barkley aaron donald todd Gurley. so i do like the value there i like that that alvin kamara is one of the higher uh odds as well plus 3300
2: yeah let me let me ask you this the non-quarterback you'd have the most faith in place in a bet on because you know we've said this is a quarterback award but the one non-quarterback you'd be like, this this makes sense. I'll place a bet here. I think if Kamara gets over
1: 70% of the snaps, if he hits more like 80%, which I, I guess is possible, he's going to have enough of an impact both in the running and in the passing game, which is super important to be able to get both of those, that I think he's got a serious shot. Now, Saquon Barkley may end up having more yards uh, from scrimmage than him, but team has to be competitive too. And I think Kamara brings that now I mean I don't know what else Donald can do to improve upon what he's been able to do to win MVP he's been you know dominant over the last since he came into the league really so I can't see him winning it it would have to be someone on offense for me and I think it would go Kamara who are you looking at
2: see I was going to try to make a case for Barkley because if that team is anywhere near competitive it's because of him you get to nine ways it's because of him yeah. you know it's going to take a sort of superhuman effort for them him to do so for yeah. him to put that team in that position because let's face it Eli Manning is where he is right now and Daniel Jones look he's their quarterback of the future you know for better or worse now and so he might not be ready for a year or two to really sort of take over that offense so it would be on his back and his legs and so if they get to nine and seven somehow he would probably deserve serious <laughs> MVP consideration because he'd probably be like 95% of their offense. Like, What was it, last year or two years ago where Russell Wilson was like 98% of Seattle's offense? Hmm. I'd expect like similar numbers for Saquon this year.
1: What about, I'll give you one last grouping here and I'll have you pick one. They're kind of in a similar range here. Kirk Cousins is at plus 5,000. Mitch Trubisky, as you mentioned before, 6000 Press Dak Prescott, even worse than that, at plus uh, 6600 there. Out of those three, who are you putting the cash down on? Because I know you wrote about Cousins recently. Do you feel confident enough in Kirk Coupons?
2: That's a tough I'd probably go Dak there. And right. I know it's interesting, given the debate that has framed the timeline that we've <laughs> talked about at the Open here with Ezekiel Elliott and his worth to this franchise. And people try to make the case that, look, you know, get over 23 touches for him and they win. Which is wrong to begin with, but anyway, if Dallas gets to an NFC championship game, Dak's going to get serious consideration for it. And if you look at some of the numbers, the games that they win are the games where he plays well. You know, Mike Renner over PFF sort of came back on that take and said, look, the games where he was over 100% quarterback rating, not the QBR or quarterback rating is a good stat or really effective or influential way to look at it, they won. But whereas games where Ezekiel had more than 23 carries or 23 touches, they had 27 against Houston and they lost. And so yeah. Dak's performance is more indicative of their wins or losses versus Ezekiel's performance or touches at yeah. least. And so I'd probably go Dak there. It doesn't mean I'm not throwing five bucks on Mitch. Look, I'm kind of alone on Trubisky Island right now. I'm still, I'm somewhat cautiously optimistic about his potential this next season because he'll be in his second full year under Matt Nagy. I have faith in Matt Nagy as a play caller. And Bill Wall said, look, quarterbacks, they got to figure it out by their third year. This is the Mm. third year. And I'm even willing to cut him an extra year because his first year to John Fox was, I don't think Mahomes would have looked great under John Fox. And so I'm still, I'm still the window where I could be convinced that he could be, What he was meant to be when he was drafted second overall.
1: So when we come back here on the QB show, we'll see how much more money Mark wants to lose on the 2019 (laughs) NFL season. And could the future of the NFL be in jeopardy due to roaming packs of wild dogs? That and more right after this.
0: Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels. But now the only thing you're missing is
1: And we are back on the QB Sco Show, episode 27, brought to you by the five folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. Michael Kist here with QB1 in my heart, Mark Schofield. So we covered some MVP bets and maybe some comeback player of the year type stuff. I want to talk about more in general about your process a little bit. I want to talk about box score scouting because there's a tweet out there and I'll keep it with Trubisky since you were talking about him and we'll also bring Cam into this. But I saw a, a tweet out there and it's comparing Cam Newton's 2018 campaign to Mitchell Trubisky's kind of trying to prop mitchell trubisky up because i guess someone was mad about a madden rating which we're adults we don't have to do that it's it's yeah, it's to enjoy your video game i'm, I'm not going to judge you for that but come on none of the, none of this stuff really matters at all but they were kind of using it as an argument you look at the stats side by side and they look very very similar but the problem is like how much do you trust box score and i remember joe banner t- talking about if you're just looking at box score stats and lining them them up next to each other you're doing quarterback evaluation wrong and I really do believe that however the stats do bring context there are some good more in-depth analytics that you can look at to get a more full picture of a quarterback so Mark since you scout these quarterbacks you evaluate these quarterbacks how do, you, how do you decide what stats to use, how impactful they are, wh- what you look for because of them?
2: Yeah, I think it's an important discussion to have because especially when we're in this day and age where if you've got a phone, you've got the ability to fire off the takes. You know, we have to sort of sort through some of the noise. When it comes to evaluating the quarterback position, counting stats, for example, I don't put a ton of weight on them. Like, so a guy threw 50 touchdowns, so a yeah. guy threw 20 interceptions or whatever. I don't. Put a ton of weight into that. It's certainly a data point, but you want to see how those materialized. If a guy threw 50 touchdowns, but 49 of them came on a running back screen, what does that really tell you about the guy as a passer? I think right. some of the more advanced things that we can look at in terms of, say, adjusted net yards per attempt, yards per attempt, air yards, things like that, those give you a little bit more flavor of who the quarterback is. But you have to do this sort of hand-in-hand with watching the player himself to sort of get some context for it. Take, for example, completion percentage. You might look at Mitchell Trubisky and Cam Newton, and Trubisky has a higher completion percentage. I don't know if that's the case. I'm just guessing. And you might say, oh, well, he's a better quarterback. They're running different offenses. You know, Matt Nagy's asking him to do different things than Norv Turner is, as we just sort of covered. And so it's a part of the process, but it can't be the entire process. For example, here's a Great example from what I'm doing right now, which is I'm studying LSU's Joe Burrow. I'll just sort of let that linger for a second. But I'm studying LSU's Joe Burrow. Weird weird flex, but okay. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And his debut last year against Miami, he was 11 of 24 for 140 yards, 5.8 per attempt, no touchdowns, no interceptions. Hmm. That's not a great stat line, but you watch the game and you see, for example, he had a throw. Against a rolled cover one robber type look where he read it perfectly, anticipated where that safety was going to drop down to threw a dig route open behind him in a crowded pocket where he had to reset his feet, click climb and fire through a rocket over the middle, right to the receiver's face mask and he dropped it. That's a great throw. That's an NFL read. That's an NFL play. That's what you want to see from college quarterbacks. But it goes down as an incompletion. And so, yeah, you know, he completes less than 50% of his passes in that game. But that was one that he should have had. He had similar throws in that game. I studied his game against Georgia. Again, a game where he sort of kind of struggled. You look at the numbers he put up in that Georgia game. I'm pulling up right now. They weren't great. But Georgia's a very good defense. And he's making similar type reads and throws. And that's a game that they won. But he was 15 of 30 for 200. No touchdowns, Mm -hmm. no interceptions, but he made reads and throws against a Kirby smart Georgia defense, which is as close as you might get to seeing NFL type stuff as a college quarterback in today's game. And so you have to sort of, yes, look at the numbers. They are part of the puzzle, but also look at the quarterback yourself and see, do the numbers back up? what you're seeing on tape, or do they contradict what you're seeing on tape? And if so, then determine which carries more weight. We are in such a great time where there is so much information available to us. But I often feel like if you go on the timeline or elsewhere, film people say it's film, analytics people say it's analytics, and there's hard to see a lot of crossover. Some people try to do it. I know you marry numbers and film extremely well. I try to do it. Other people try to do it. But it seems like more often than not, people sort of entrench into their camps and they don't yeah. emerge from them. They don't cross over. The only time sort of use that handshake meme, and I, this is a shout out to our boy Betts, is dunking on Benoit. That's the only time that everybody right. sort of like you know, gets together. <laughs>
1: That's it. I agree, and and I've told this story before, but when I was back with the scouting academy, they had that prove it competition. So, you know, going up against uh, hundreds of other people trying to trying to win this competition, it's being judged by guys that have done it before in the league, not only in scouting but in coaching as well. But in the finals, the scouting report was Trevor Simeon. So I had to go through his 2016 tape and write up a full scouting report for him. And when you look at these guys, you to—you only have a certain amount of games to really select from. You want to pick five games just to, to give yourself a nice base and kind of figure out who he is. You look through like best, worst, on the road. You look for different situations. One of the situations for him when I was looking at best was his third game of that season. that was at Cincinnati. So he's on the road. He has four touchdowns, no interceptions, over 300 yards. I thought it was one of the worst games that I saw from him out of the five. So that tells you a lot about how sometimes those stats can definitely lie to you. And it turns out Simeon was more the quarterback on the low end of things rather than what the stats propped him up to be. But if I just looked at that box score without watching the film, I would have had no context for how those four touchdowns happened, And I would have no idea of the strengths and weaknesses and why that kind of thing happens. So, yeah, I use a lot of analytics. With, but but also at the same time, I use the analytics to point out things to watch for with film, or to give proper context to the point I'm trying to make with the film. So I think there is a way to marry them. There doesn't have to be this side for side thing that we constantly see on Twitter and guys complaining about, oh, well, the film guys don't want to reach out to the analytic guys, the analytic guys, well, then ignore them. Talk with the guys that do want to cross the aisle and talk about these things and meet in the middle because that's how front offices absolutely have to run. I mean, you look at the Eagles' robust analytics department. They have a robust film department too. They have to come together on these things, and they're going to have disagreements. They're not going to agree on everything. They're looking at it from two different angles, but you have to be able to bring all the data together and look at it objectively, and then you can make your decision moving forward as far as what we think this player is and why, based on both the film and the analytics. Anything to add on that, Mark?
2: Yeah, I mean, I just think, you know, if you're going to sort of isolate yourself in sort of one camp or the other, you're doing yourself a disservice, regardless of right. you're just like an idiot like me on the outside looking in, or if you're in an NFL front office, or if you're on the sideline coach in a game, whether it's NFL, college, high school, flag football, whatever. Like, why would you cut yourself off from information? That's what we're talking right. about information and data. Now, Robert E. Lee made a decision based on perhaps incomplete data. And if he had more information available to him, perhaps he would have made a different decision. Decisions are made all the time in life. If you were to go buy a house and you thought, I'll just look at the pictures. I won't go see it. I won't like (laughs) get an inspection. You're doing yourself a disservice. And so I think the people that try to marry the data, all facets of data, whether it's film, whether it's analytics, whatever you want to call it those who are going to have a better product in the end, whether it's an article, whether it's a video, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a team?
1: So I like the points that you make there because I, I, I definitely agree with you. Why would you Why would you turn down solid information even if you don't agree with it? I mean, in that case, you're just Washington. You see how that has worked out for them. Yeah,
2: I mean it's worked out fabulously for the Eagles, right?
1: I can't believe they have a team in the same division with a robust analytics department and Washington's like, well, we don't need that. We're doing just fine over here. We got Snyder. He's got yeah. you No, know, for business. It's, it's ridiculous. They could be so much more efficient. I mean, they have a good co- coach too. Would they, give the man some help. Give the man some help. So uh, the last thing that I wanted to talk about today, and this kind of, I guess, is in the same vein as the, as the Robert E. Lee thing. I, there, there was news that we saw the other day or, or last week about a quarterback that we talk about a lot on this show, but this one we had to bring up again. So sorry for all the Cole McDonald from uh, Hawaii takes here, but like I've said before, he's not QB1. He's the only QB. But he had this to say about his season last year because he played banged up last year. And that's kind of why I'm hopeful for his season coming up this year. He says, quote, first game, I sprained my MCL Played through that first quarter against San Jose State. I took a shot to the side. The guy that hit me actually knocked himself out, unquote, with lingering pain from the San Jose State game. This is the article now. He later went to the hospital for extra tests and said, quote, and I had some internal bleeding in my side that didn't drain out properly. It was all in my scrotum. I couldn't walk for about a week. I played hurt for most of the season. It was pretty brutal. Mark, how on earth? I mean, you played you played football in college. Could you imagine draining blood into, into your coin purse and playing through it? That seems brutal
2: wild to me i am at a loss for words (laughs) and those of the gentle listeners that have followed us that have listened to the show know that it's rare never happens that i have nothing to say (laughs) i'm at a loss for i don't i put that out i tweeted out that article it was actually a screenshot from our boy bryce rossler and i tweeted it out and the instant reaction was just people just incredulous because it's unfathomable and he played through this If you have played any sport, you know, especially in the sport of football, there's that sort of macho mentality where you have to play through injuries, you play hurt, you have to be the leader. We've all heard the stories about like training room signs that, you know, have things like slogans like work hard to get out of here or (laughs) only losers stay here. You know, you hear stories about high schools making injured players wear pink shirts. That's literally in a coaching presentation this year, by the way. But this (laughs) is above and beyond. I mean, you can't tell me that now that he's healthy, Cole McDonald isn't going to walk into a huddle and have the absolute command and respect of the other 10 guys in that huddle. Oh, because yeah. He, he literally put his body on the line. Perhaps risking, shall we say, a rather permanent and one lasting injury. Yeah. Whatever you want to say about Cole McDonald, the quarterback, I've written about him. We've had takes about him. I think there's potential there. A lot of people think there's potential there. He could be a lot of fun this year. The West Coast quarterbacks, him. Herbert, Jordan Love, who's getting a lot of, shall we say, Love, KJ Costello, Khalil Tate even. Like, there's going to be some interesting guys to watch on the West Coast. But Cole McDonald, man, that's, that's something. Like, I, I don't know how else to frame it. it. That's something. That's a
1: tough son of a gun. And like you yeah. said, you go through something like that, you go into the huddle, you got complete command of that thing. You got respect from everybody in the building for putting your like, body on what, the line like that.
2: What are you going to do if you're like the, the fifth wide receiver on that team and you tweak the ankle? And you're a little you're right. hobbled and you're like, coach, I just don't know if I can go. And then you see, oh, Cole's running back on the field. Yeah. Seems to be lipping a little bit, but okay.
1: I, I like the game that where, where Cole was out where they had like a body double for him before the game because they didn't want the just opponent to know. his that.
2: number and stuff.
1: But interestingly, like, did the guy have dreads too? I don't know if they put fake dreads on him. I'd have to look. I know he had the same number. They put like the same equipment on.
2: You know, Sun Tzu, you know, the art of war, like deception. You got to do these things. You you know, Rollo has read some Sun Tzu in his day. Oh, definitely. I mean, we've seen seen the sniper pictures with Rollo and McDonald, right? (laughs) Yeah. Little family. I got belly. quotes
1: all over the building. Oh, yeah. So that's gonna do it for the QB Sco Show episode 27. Mark, any any words for the gentle listeners? I think this will be our last show before we hit training camp. How can how can the gentle listeners survive until then? You just got one more week. Okay, how, how okay? How can we survive? I
2: don't know if we're gonna survive. Like, this might be it for me. Like it's gonna be yeah. like that Goodwill hunted where you're gonna like call me up on Zoom meeting next week, and I'm not gonna answer because I've just given up. <laughs> I'm gone. I'm like out herding goats in New Zealand. I was going to say, so you just swim out to the ocean, let it reclaim you. Just, just wash over me. The bath is a takeless experience. Training camp has opened. Players have reported. By the time we roll around, we will have grainy practice footage to break down of Daniel Jones. So let that be your inspiration, gentle listeners, that when we meet again, we will have actual takes about kind of football in a way. So head in there. We know it's been a grind. Believe me, it's been a grind for us on the other side. I mean, we've taken a plane PUBG again because we just want to punish ourselves. So we're almost there. Just hang in there a little bit longer.
1: So a ton of takes coming with very little evidence, but very strongly argued coming your way. That's football media, baby. Look forward to that. We thank you for tuning in to the QB's Go Show. If you like what you heard, remember, leave five stars in Apple Podcasts. Hit subscribe on whatever app you're using to listen to this podcast. We do appreciate you, and we'll catch you next time.